I believe everyone has a story to share. I'm on a journey to discover the magic inside each person's story. Each week, I will introduce you to guests where I will dig deep and uncover the beautiful miracles from life and experiences to inspire and encourage you to live life to the fullest. My goal is to give each guest a platform to share their lives with the world in hopes that someone will be inspired to take action and live life with passion and purpose. Welcome to the Uncover Your Magic podcast with me, Ashley Goner. Are you ready? Here we go. Welcome back to Uncover Your Magic. When you think of mindfulness, what goes through your mind? I automatically think of being present in each moment of life and being aware of how I react to certain circumstances. And if I do react, why and what triggers my reaction? When I looked up mindfulness, the definition is to achieve a state of alert, focused relaxation by deliberately paying attention to thoughts and sensations without judgment. This allows the mind to refocus on the present moment. So I'm kind of on the right track, but if you want to take mindfulness to the next level, you need to meet my next guest, Jess Lipman. Jess is the founder of the Mindful Nest, a community and training institute designed to help impact makers and innovators integrate mindfulness and all its benefits into their daily lives. She is a certified level two mindfulness coach and teaches the unified mindfulness system created by Shinzen Young. Jess has been practicing meditation for over 15 years now, but within the past five years, she decided she wanted to make it her life. While this may be her first rodeo as a founder, she is not new to the personal development space, having spent many years working for the New York Times bestselling author Brendan Burchard and brain expert Jim Quick. On the personal side of things, Jess is a recovering addict who has been sober for over four years. Her mindfulness practice helped her discover it was time to make a massive shift in her life, and she uses her practice daily to stay in touch with her true, authentic self. I am so excited to talk about mindfulness and how you can create such positive effects in your life like concentration and clarity around sensory emotions and the equanimity in your life. It's like being the calm in the midst of your storm. Mindfulness is really being in the present moment, no matter what is going on in your life. And it gives us the opportunity of disconnecting with technology and being present with ourselves. It's a gift we are giving to ourselves and a time to sit and deconstruct and go even deeper within. When you go deeper within yourself, it allows you to go deeper within others, which will inspire you to be called to serve others. It is truly a beautiful experience. And without further ado, please welcome Jess to Uncover Your Magic. Wow. Thank you, Ashley. That was a beautiful introduction. And I'm so grateful to be here talking to you and and your audience about mindfulness and how we can practice these attentional skills and cultivate them so that we can live in alignment and really go after what what we care about, maybe even for the first time in our lives. So I'm really excited to talk to you today. Me too. You know, reading about you, looking at your website, seeing that your intention and where you are at at your age and in your 30s and what you've gone through and 
you know, listening to your story of how you became sober and who you've worked for in the past, you have so much to unpack and you're, I mean, this is going to be a definite note taker. Even when we've spoke before this, I've learned so much of my life and just even looking at what mindfulness means and just being mindful and realizing that when you are mindful, all the, uh, when I say magic, but it is magic. And when you are mindful and you are aware of that, how, how your life, it's like changes everything. That's when the magic comes. So I want you to start where you want to start and let's go from there. Sure. I guess I could also define mindfulness. I'm so glad you did too. And just to kind of, you know, put it into context, because I think there's a lot of ways to talk about mindfulness, especially now that it's become more popular and also really more urgent in these times that we live in today. So I'll just say that mindfulness to me and in the system I work within is an awareness and it's a practice. And it's a practice that's comprised of techniques that anchor your attention in the present moment. And the cool thing about mindfulness is that you don't have to do it sitting with your eyes closed for 30 minutes to an hour. You can practice in that way, but there's ways that you can practice in your daily life while you're walking, eating, in meetings with people, in conversations with friends. You can actually be practicing all day long and actually cultivating attentional skills. And the way that my teacher Shinsen Young talks about it is that we're, when we practice mindfulness, we are practicing concentration, sensory clarity, and equanimity. And equanimity is essentially a steadiness. It's the absence of a push and pull that as we orient toward a sense experience. So sometimes we might feel pain in our body or like a pain in our knee, and we might feel aversion to that. So we want to make it go away or turn away from it. So that would mean that you may have low equanimity with that pain. But equanimity is something we get to cultivate with mindfulness. And that ultimately lets us sit with and just witness what's actually happening around us and then decide what action we'll take from there, what response we'll, we'll take in the face of what's coming before us, whether it's challenging or joyful or anything in between. So that's kind of a definition that I'd love to offer up uh, yeah, and that, that I work within. And the equanimity, I mean, that's kind of the goal, right? That's where mindfulness, that's where you have to be, right? When you are mindful. Is that what you mean by that? It's actually not where you need to be. It's a skill set that you can cultivate when you practice mindfulness. Because as you're practicing, for example, if you're sitting and you're paying attention to sounds around you and just listening to sound, that would be a focus on the hear space, which is all auditory sound. And if there's a sound that feels that challenging to hear, like maybe there's a truck driver driving by and it's loud and kind of obnoxious and you're feeling like, oh, I don't like this sound. You can notice that and actually sit through it rather than trying to close the window or finding a different room to find a different kind of situation or circumstance. You can just sit through it. And the, the sitting through it and just allowing it to be what it is, is available because of equanimity. Equanimity is the, yeah, so it's like, it's kind of like a technique that you practice, but also as you practice it, it increases. So in your daily life, when something really challenging comes up, the equanimity is, it helps you be steady and not react so acutely to it. You know, it's kind of like the way I think about it is we are the ship in the sea and sometimes this sea is really choppy and there's violent winds and our ship stays afloat. 
And sometimes it's calm and the sea is really still and we're still afloat. And being afloat, being that that ship, regardless of the nature of the winds or the elements around us, that's equanimity. It's the capacity to stay afloat. Got it. So mindfulness, go back to why were you not mindful and you started to be interested in mindfulness? Did you meet somebody? How did you become this mindfulness expert or interested in that? So I guess my interest kind of peaked years and years ago. I, in my early 20s, I was introduced to Zen Buddhism when I went to Rutgers University in New Jersey. And a friend of mine said, let's go sit with these meditators. And so we did. And something happened there where I felt really connected to the practice of stillness and silence and just sitting outside in nature with a group of people. And it was from there that I started to really take interest in the silent spaces and just sitting with myself and doing it in community. And so that was the beginning of that journey. And then that same friend, her name is Elena. She introduced me to Tara Brock. And Tara Brock is a Buddhist psychologist who I've been following for probably 14 years. And she's an incredible teacher of mindfulness and meditation. And she, I just sat with her on, in her podcast, actually, in my bedroom, I would sit and practice alone for years. And then I found, I moved to Los Angeles for grad school. I went to USC School of Cinematic Arts for critical studies. And I started to really need I started to need mindfulness. It became like I was uncomfortable in my life. I was under a lot of pressure in grad school and I needed coping mechanisms that were healthy because also at that time and all through my 20s, I was struggling with addiction. So addiction and my substance of choice, which was marijuana, was my tool for coping, but it wasn't working very well. And so I started to seek refuge from the practice of mindfulness. And that's when I found a teacher named Jessica Graham And I started sitting with her every week in like a drop-in meditation class in Los Angeles. And that's when I started to really deepen my practice because I truthfully believe because I started to sit in a community in person. It's one thing to sit and practice by yourself. And it's really important to develop and maintain a consistent practice by doing that. But sitting with people, especially in person when that is available, it's such a powerful way to deepen one's practice. And so I started to do that. And I was introduced to the unified mindfulness system in that during that time. And that was in 2011. And so ever since then, I've been following that system and really using it to ultimately build emotional intelligence for myself and learn how to emotionally regulate in healthy ways. Because mindfulness helps me be with my emotions that are arising and process them completely and no longer need drugs to do that stuff. So actually mindfulness was my introduction to addiction recovery back in, I started to get sober in 2014. So why did you want um, to get, what was the inspiration of becoming sober? Like what made you decide one day did the light bulb hit you and thought this is just ridiculous. I need to stop this. You know, my story I, so nine months before that, it was like February 2nd, 2014 is like the day I gave up marijuana and nine leading up to that for nine months, I was struggling with health issues. So I was like, I was struggling with infections, chronic infections. I couldn't get no Western medicine was helping me. Doctors were just trying to treat symptoms 
and not really talking to me about like, what do you put in your body? Like that was never a question Mm. about like, what are you consuming? Because the answer I think was kind of appalling. I was consuming, I was binge drinking at the time, like to, you know, handle life or whatever, or have fun. (laughs) It was my way of having fun was drinking. And then I was smoking pot chronically. So almost every day. And, you know, Adderall was a part of my story. And that actually, I think, really impacted my body negatively. So Adderall tort like became one of the catalysts for me to Hmm. have this kind of bottom, if you will. And over those nine months, I slowly eliminated everything, like including sugar, dairy, gluten. I was, I was just took it into my own hands because I couldn't find a doctor to support me on that journey. And I knew I was like, I have a feeling there's something I'm putting in my body that might be causing these issues. So I'm going to start eliminating. I eliminated alcohol and everything I eliminated, Adderall, caffeine, except for marijuana. Mm -hmm. And there was a day where I realized I was like, I didn't even think to eliminate that from my diet. And that's when I, well, I knew for a long time I was struggling with obsession and craving with marijuana, but that's when I knew I was like, I think I'm addicted to this because my brain didn't even let me see that this could have been something I could eliminate. (laughs) Oh, that's interesting. And then I actually went through a breakup and that breakup, it was with someone who at the time, it was just like a really dysfunctional relationship. And he left me because I was acting out and not in my integrity and whatever. And I was like in my really darkest time. And I thought he was kind of like, you know, a jerk. And I thought, if this jerk is telling me that I'm a mess, then I, there must be something seriously wrong. And that was actually that mirror moment when he left me that mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I think I need help because there's something wrong here. Like I'm leading such a misaligned life from what I see myself, like the image of myself does not match like my behavior. And so that's when I like Googled, you know, how do you quit marijuana? And then I found, yeah, I found um, a group, like uh, there's, there's groups for that. So I joined. And so you joined, you did the whole thing, the 12, what the uh, 12 step process. Yes. I've been through the 12 steps and um, I'm in different, there's different weight, like groups with different issues. So I've gone through like different groups because turns out it wasn't, you know, just marijuana. It was like, I joined AA because it was hard for me to give up alcohol. And then I also do work around like my codependence and healing things like that from, you know, attachment injury. I've been doing work over the last, like, I would say three years, I've been focusing heavily on that side of my recovery, which is like, looking at like, what are the underlying patterns and conditioning that I've brought from my adolescence through my adulthood that I'm now healing. And so that's the healing work I do now. And that's also the work I do with clients is I I support people who have attachment injury. Maybe they grew up in a dysfunctional home or there was some form of abandonment that may have occurred and it can result in some like symptoms that show up in our adulthood that don't really make sense. And also that are not really useful anymore. So I help people kind of go through that. And I have my own lived experience. And I also have learned how to use mindfulness to support people on that journey of like reassembling themselves and like healing, healing parts of themselves so that they can move forward in this more aligned way. 
Okay, so going back to your childhood, what have you learned as who you are now? Why did you start doing that? What was the addiction? Was your family, did they have an addiction background? Do you have that as as your mom and dad? Yeah, so I have some addiction that runs in my family. So definitely that's there. And then, you know, some family dysfunction growing up. Like, yeah, there's elements of like abandonment or, you know, things like that. (laughs) And so essentially, yeah, there's certain things that happened that have set the stage for me to what I noticed as an adult is I, I was living a life to seek validation and do things perfectly for other people to give me validation. So I've been kind of like a recovering perfectionist for all my life. And what that looks like is like, I'll go after something or not, or I'll attract things in. But I was for a long time, I noticed I was attracting things in, but I wasn't really going after things I really cared about. And I realized I was like, I don't go after things I care about because I'm too afraid to not get it. So I'll just take whatever comes my way. And I used to have this idea like, oh, my life is just flowing like that. But I realized one day I was like, this is also an insight. I got early recovery was that I've always just taken things in that come and I don't really go after what I care about because ultimately I'm afraid to. And because I've avoided that for so long, I actually didn't really know what I cared about for like a long time. And what that does is it led me into really meaningful career experiences. But ultimately I was feeling like, oh, I'm not doing what I feel like I want to be doing, but I don't know what I want to be doing. And so my journey of recovery has really been about like exploring who I actually am and like really allowing myself to just love what I love and start to go after things that I care about across all areas of my life. Like I have a really holistic approach to my own healing. And again, I take clients through that same holistic approach. I think if we have dissatisfaction in our career, it could be pointing somewhere else in our life. Like our career doesn't have to feel so bad. And it might be because the career's misaligned, but it also could be because like, like I'm just not doing what my creative aliveness is calling for. I don't make time for it. And that was my story. It's like, I knew sometimes what I would like, like I like mindfulness or, you know, I love dancing and I just wasn't making time for it. So I wasn't entering this part of myself. And, and that's from longstanding attachment injury of just like, it wasn't safe to explore. And exploration is one of the tenets of secure attachment. And so I noticed like, I have a really hard time exploring. I'm healing that right now by going and exploring, but exploring is terrifying. And explore, exploration, all it means is that you go and do things that are meaningful to you. It could be traveling to a new place. It could be practicing mindfulness. It could be going on a yoga retreat that calls to you. But ultimately, it's like I really had a hard time even going after those things. There was a blockage there. And so now that's the healing I do is like go do the things I love because it helps me be more in acceptance of who I am. And then if I'm doing the things I love, I'm being of the highest service. And I believe that for all of us. I really believe like the best thing we can do for other people is do something that we love, like utterly adore. And, and our culture and certain institutions in our lives tell us that that's not possible or that's not right. And I've had to really unlearn those stories and those narratives so that I can fully adopt like the life I love 
and now I'm like actually living that. And it's like, it's really powerful to like create a, you know, like a, a mission and follow something that I really care about with mindfulness and just like now do that for a living. Like no one gave me permission to do that. I had to go give myself permission to like dream up what would like my most, the coolest career I can think of for myself that feels most connected to what I love be. And I was like, one day I was like, I, this is the thing I'm waiting to go do this thing. So let me just go do it. Oh, I love that. So when you have, you know, I always believe that you surround yourself with people like-minded, you know, that you're attracted to, you know, your vibe attracts your tribe, right? So Um, I'm visualizing you when you are into your addiction and smoking and all that drinking, are you around that kind of group? So you're not, it's just the normal thing. And then now that you're not, did you have to switch that tribe up in order to just kind of naturally occur? Oh, wow. Well, I love this question because it's such a big part of addiction recovery is that the shifting of your social life Mm -hmm. out of necessity or it just happens. So let's see, you know, my story is interesting in the sense that, I mean, not interesting, like, and it's also not unique. Some addicts like use and drink with other people and some do it by themselves. So for me, my marijuana use was by myself. It was almost like, um, it was like a cup of coffee while I was working. It wasn't, Hmm. I didn't smoke with a bunch of friends watching movies. I actually hated that kind of stuff. I would smoke to get creative and to like get into my work. And in grad school, my work was by myself. I was writing all day and reading all day. So it wasn't, for me, it wasn't this like very social thing. It started that way. Marijuana gave me a sense of community in high school when I really needed support. And it it probably saved my life. But as with many addictive tools, they work and then they stop working. Right. (laughs) And so for me, it kind of stopped working and also became a very isolationist kind of tool for me. I guess with the drinking, I did have like some friends I would drink with. And the truth is some of my friends stuck around. Like I have friends who I used to party with who now I don't party with. And we can now have fun together without that. And it took like maybe two or three years for us to like kind of feel that out in my early recovery. But I'm at a place now where like the true friends stuck around and are still interesting to me. So that tells me like, wasn't just about drugs. And then there's people who just like are no longer attracted to me because I don't do that stuff anymore. And maybe that was like the foundation for our friendship. And then Learning how to be in sober relationships was a practice that I I did in early recovery and I learned how to do that. And now I have that and I, I can be around people who drink, like I can go to a happy hour, but I also like tend to find myself hanging out with people who have similar ambitions as mine or who want to help people. And the ways that we connect are about like business development or creating a training together and offering it to people. Like the things I do now are like aligned with my business, with mindfulness, with creative collaborations, with the outdoors. I love hiking and camping and all those kinds of things. So the things I do with my friends are like kind of centered on things that like that or freeform dance is a huge one. So I love dancing around and with people. And so I tend to find people who are attracted to those things now. So the interests are like, I needed to find out what I loved in order to find people who love that too. 
So knowing, right. knowing myself was really essential in order to find meaningful friendships. The reason why my friendships sometimes felt really vacuous or dissatisfactory in my past is because I didn't know who I was. Right. So I was just, just smoking with someone is really not gratifying <laughs> if you have nothing in common with them, but also if you don't know yourself. Like I just didn't know myself for so long and I didn't realize that that was the problem. I was huh. like, why do I hate everyone? Well, the reason I hated everyone is because I didn't know me. Right. And if I don't know me, I can't find people who love the same things that I love. So exactly. I'm kind of living in that space right now. I, you know, it's like, I've been a mom for 14 years. And before that, you know, did a lot of um, personal development stuff and always read books, everything, you know, I've always been at the bookstore and that's been such an important thing, going to seminars, all that. And, mm. you know, been a mom for the last 14 years and have two girls, but, you know, now kind of what you were there kind of ones in high school, I don't really need to you know, sit with them on the computer right now for there's, you know, Zoom school, I can do this kind of stuff. And it's created such an environment of when I say your vibe attracts your tribe, I just love that because it is so true. And the community that I have around me and meeting you and then having Nathan, Aaron, who if anyone's listening, who has listened to him, who I've heard from millions of people that have listened to his episode that loved it, he introduced me to Jess. So, you know, just this connection, just the three of us, has lifted my life up. And when you are in knowing and what you're doing is what you're put on this earth to do, which I know that I think watching you discuss your life and how you didn't know who you were and now you are, I felt, I feel like there's always been this like drive you in the subconscious of your mind. It's been telling you to get there. You just had to get through these little steps to have a story and to help people who have the similar thing. Like I see this gift that you are like this, almost like this, this little angel that's flying and she's like, okay, I'm going to get there, but I need to go through all these little things, you know, learn all these little lessons. And then you're planted right here where you're supposed to be. And this is the gift and all the other stuff's been a gift. But I really feel like that's my feeling now. I've, I've surrounded myself with these people like you and all these amazing interviews that I've had on this podcast is such a gift. And that's when you are feeling like you're on your, your purpose, you know, the passion. Mm. Oh, it's so, it's like, I help these little, my teenager has, you know, I'm helping these teenagers right now, trying to create their mindset and teaching them the gratitude and all the little things that I think are so important to learn now than wait till you're in your twenties or thirties, like most people do and finding themselves or giving them the tools. Like, wouldn't you, it would have helped you if you had someone at 14 say, you know, this is what you do in the morning. These are the rituals that you have. You know, this is, these are the steps that you take to become mindful and realize that all of a sudden I'm in my thirties and okay now, but think of that, right? What a gift. Right. Oh yeah. I think that's so beautiful. The work you do with young people, because I don't think we need to wait until we're in our late twenties or even thirties to have those experiences. We can cultivate clarity and insight like as early as our teens and, and have the safe container to do that. And sometimes we just don't have that, or we don't even have the luxury to explore who we are. You know, if people are growing up in dysfunctional homes or have grown up in a dysfunctional home, they may not have had the space to even think about who they were. They were right. just trying to survive. And like, I can relate to that. It's like, I, I didn't have space to think about like, Oh, who am I? It was more like, you know, I'm trying to like, 
I'm trying to cope with my day to day and actually like numb out. And like, that's an experience that a lot of young people unfortunately have, or is scary enough is like social media or other elements Mm -hmm. around them are like pulling them in and potentially taking them away from this, like really beautiful space of like a journey of like self-exploration that they can be participating in. And, and so it's, it's really cool what you do and what you're bringing to them as you know, earlier in their lives rather than something they do later um, after they've had all these like experiences. They can have those experiences still, but perhaps maybe with some more perspective or a few more tools. Right. So um, going on to another subject of finding the right tribe, how do you date? So before were you attracting Mm -hmm. guys that were like-minded in the drinking and the smoking thing? And so you're with them kind of numb and now it's, has it opened up to this beautiful new relationship where he's like-minded and he likes mm. to do all the things you do? How did you come from learning how, who you were to attracting the right person to, into your life for in a relationship? So, well, first of all, I, I'm actually a really big advocate of online dating. I do see how it's changed in the last few years and the user experience is has been, I think, corroding our humanity, to be honest. Like that, that was my experience with it. It's like ghosting culture is higher than ever before. I was seeing a statistic 90% of people are ghosted on social, on dating platforms, et cetera. So I felt like I was very much a part of that, like user experience of dating. So also I was uh, attracting a lot of like dismissive, avoidant men, probably for, I mean, all my life, but or non-secure men. So people who are like either like grasping at me and kind of codependent and then become like unavailable once you actually let them in mm-hmm. or people who just were like not really emotionally available ever. And so they like kind of have this like limited access that you get with them and it's not very deep or meaningful. And there, there's some symptoms I've noticed were like the they were afraid of commitment, didn't want children or family, like sometimes didn't want a monogamous relationship. All of these things are showing up in all these people I was dating. And it was kind of exhausting because I want, you know, I want to have a monogamous partner. I want to share life with someone. I want to travel with someone, build a business with them. Like these are all things that are kind of middle. Mm -hmm. And here I am like attracting people who are just kind of like aversive to all of what I love. And so I took a break last year. I kind of got fed up with dating and I, you know, I, I was like, I think I need to take a pause. And I had a friend who she's a photographer. Her name is Olivia Ashton. She's an amazing photographer. She, and I went on this, it's like a self love photography shoot. And she, it's just like self-expression. She just captures it for you. And so she was, she took me on that journey And while we were there, we were talking about intimacy and love. And she mentioned that she just stopped dating and she was waiting for someone to just come in at that point um, and focusing on living her life. And I was like, wow, I really haven't like tried that. You you know, like I really haven't taken space to just do me and get clear on that and allow that to potentially attract in the right person. And so I, that stayed with me. And then, and then I, 
And I had recently left my full-time job. I moved into an entrepreneurial career. I launched my coaching. This was all last year, uh, 2019. And at that same time, I stopped dating and I made, I decided to make a list of all the things I wanted in a partner and a life coach actually, who I worked with in 2017, she recommended I do this, but I never did it because it was so terrifying to make a list of what exactly do I want in an intimate partnership. The reason why that was scary is because for so long, I've been afraid of abandonment. Like if I say what I really want in the world, they'll leave me. And mm-hmm. that was the story that I had. So I, that's what kept me away from knowing who I was. That was a, that's what kept me away from even being clear with people I was dating and saying like, I want kids or I want monogamy. Like I just wouldn't say anything. I would kind of just like listen for what they want and kind of be a chameleon and be whatever it is they want me to be. That was my dating strategy for a really long time. And that didn't work well. That leads, it led me to misaligned relationships because ultimately I I wasn't being authentic. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you wrote your list. And made a list and I started to read it every night. And the way I approached the list is I made a list of things that I love about my partner, like things that, you know, they would be described as, and then things they love about me. Like they love that I'm ambitious. I'm an ambitious, like driven woman. I have a seat at every table because like I create that situation for myself. Some men are not into that. Like I'm a very like driven woman. And so I want someone who like loves that about me, not who's threatened by that or who like just accepts that. I want someone who's like, yeah, she's awesome. So I I made a list of how they see me and what they love about me and what I love about them and the things that we share together. Like whether I, on my list, it's like mindfulness. They're not an addict. So adding that to the list was really important because I always, Mm -hmm. I've been attracting people who are addicts because um, I'm an aspirational lifestyle that they want. And right. so naturally, and this is very common, but people in the dating pool, if they see that you're sober or in recovery, it could be enticing if they want that. But that doesn't mean that they are doing that. That's just something they want. Right. And so I've just made it kind of that boundary for myself and other things. So I made this list of like, what do we have to have in common? And then what are some things that we don't need to have in common? Like maybe, you know, I don't need someone who loves ecstatic dance. I can do that with my friends. I don't need a partner who's like obsessed with that, et cetera. So I made this list and I started to read it every night. And then a mutual friend of my partner and I, like we talked one day during that summer of 2019. And she was like, you know, I have someone in mind for you. What about, what about Julio? And I was like, oh, I never like, I never thought about him that way. Cause he and I were acquaintances in recovery. But beyond that, like I hadn't really thought about him as someone like I would date. And so I had this list to look at and I was like, well, you know, he kind of like, he kind of matches the list, at least for as much as I can see. And so I made space to like get to know him in that way. And we started dating and we've been together over a year now. So, oh, neat. And it was oh, really interesting. It's like within two months of making that list, like I found someone who I respect and love and really share in meaningful things together. Like it's kind of eerie how much like the list is represented in, in our relationship. And honestly, it can, I, I mean, a big part of what I believe happened is like 
I made space for the aligned person to come forward. And I stopped grasping in a pool of people like with online dating, I stopped like grasping to find someone and in some kind of like desperate way of connecting. I just was like, you know what, I'm going to focus on my life. And I, and actually it was a mixture of getting clear on who I want and what I want in my life. And then also living my life. That was really important. I just focused last year on like building my business, building meaningful friendships. I had my own apartment that I lived alone and like had my own like nest where the mindful nest was born, like my company. And like, I really just like enjoyed my life. And I was like, you know, I, I trusted the universe that the universe would bring to me a person that like would complement my life and I can share in experiences with because I didn't need someone to make me complete. Like that's actually not what I need. And I don't think any of us need that in relationships. If that's what we're seeking, like that's one of the issues is like we get to make ourselves complete and then attract in someone who loves those parts of us and wants to share in that. So I finally like started living my life that way. I love that. You know, when I think of you, And I think you just started this business over a year ago and you have trust in you. And I can see that you trusted. Well, you trust is because you quit your job, right? You quit your corporate job. Yeah. What made you just say one day, I'm going to quit and this is my passion. I'm going to do this mindful nest, create this amazing business, but you have to trust and know that is going to create the same income. You know, this Mm -hmm. is going to be your livelihood. Where, where does that trust, explain trust to me? Mm. Yeah, when I left my job, it was actually really challenging because I loved my job. Like I had a job that everyone wanted. <laughs> and that's actually, I mean, part of what made it so challenging too is like, oh, I love my job and it's given me so much. And like, there's so much generosity there. Like I worked for Brendan Burchard. I was, I was managing director and I got to do so many cool things with him and with our team there. And so walking away from that was a very big decision because I was walking away from something really great. But I had this, this, um, this fire in me and this voice in me that was saying like, Oh, you want to go do coaching. And the cool thing is I actually learned about coaching by working for Brendan and he's like, he's the world's leading high performance coach. And so I got to really taste what coaching is like And I always knew I wanted to do some kind of service with people, whether it was mental health or life coaching. Like Mm -hmm. for a long time, I knew I was really attracted to that. And even with critical studies at USC, I I was deconstructing film and cinema and new media. That's like what critical studies is. It's like Mm -hmm. a deconstruction process and like contextualizing and looking at intersections of things. And now I do that with like the human consciousness. Wow. Um, so I, I feel like that it, that is in life coaching is like this ability to take apart elements and to uncover things. Like, so in, now instead of with cinema, I do it with humans huh. <laughs> and like our inner climate, our inner world. And so I discovered that when I was working with Brendan and that was such an, an important gift that I received from him and from that opportunity to work at High Performance Institute. Mm-hmm. And ultimately that voice got really loud saying like, okay, like, you know, I think you're ready to go do this thing. And so I had to really ultimately take a leap and trust that my passion for mindfulness, my passion for coaching and my capacity to be in that, 
that life service is going to be the best way I can be of service in the world. And so I had to trust that, like, I need to go do that and turn on that lever now. And it was my time to go do that. And so I had to take a leap and trust. And and I also set up a few support systems in my life to make that work. You know, I didn't, I didn't just take a leap. It was kind of like, you know, I transitioned into coaching and I, I am also a consultant. So I, I consult for businesses on how to um, develop a thought leadership business and move into digital marketing and build out their digital ecosystem as part of, you know, wellness businesses, personal development. So that's like one of my wheelhouses. So I was able to really bring that into my work as a consultant and ultimately move into coaching from that portal. So I moved through it strategically and in that transition. And I also got support. So I got a business coach, which helped me stay in the trust. Like I didn't want to do it alone because a lot of coaches work as solopreneurs and it can kind of be a little bit scary if you're, um, your whole livelihood is kind of built on a business that you're building alone. So I enlisted support. I got a business coach and that he helped me a lot in terms of just like having the confidence to keep going, build out the strategies, trust my systems that I have in place and really trust that I'm, I'm really equipped. I have a lot to offer people. And I also have, I have systems that I use to support people that are science inspired. And so I then went into, I got, I went into a teacher training with unified mindfulness. And so they, they trained me up in using the system to work with clients one-on-one and group. And so that was like 2019. I was really tooling up and like moving into this new flow of my life and building that trust. A huge part of that story was also allowing myself to play and to rest and to recharge myself because Mm -hmm. I I had worked in a really powerful, intense job for a few years. So my, my nervous system actually needed to kind of rest, relax, recalibrate. And so, and I also, I also felt this need to like play more, like it became an intuitive calling to me that like, you need to make some more space for playing. And so that's when I got into dance. So I was dancing like, I was dancing like every day in 2019. And I was also part of a group of freeform dancers. And that is the thing that actually helped me move into my coaching in a really fluid way. It's what helped me really kind of experientially and somatically tap into flow and allow things to come and go as they will and not get attached to outcomes, but just keep going. And I think that's actually quite essential in a coaching business and any entrepreneurial effort is like, do not get attached to things going the way you want them to go. Find out what the conditions are of, of your work environment and then find a way to be equanimous with that. And right. so dance helped me do that. And it helped me unlock self-acceptance. It helped me really accept my body and also listen to my intuition because in order to freeform dance, you have to allow your intuition to arise. And it's quite a powerful antidote to self-doubt and self-criticism. So practicing just dancing and listening to my body, it actually transferred over to my confidence at work. I was way, I started Mm. to find myself really confident with coaching, really trusting in my process. Like 
clients can come and go and I'm not attached to money. It's all kind of just like this playground. It feels like a playground, not in like a dismissive way, but in kind of like it, there's a lightness and a levity to the way I run my business. It feels like a river flowing. Um, oh, and, and things emerge along the way that, you know, I didn't plan for, but sometimes a workshop idea might come to me and I'm like, oh, let me go do that. Or a collaborative training will come to me and I make space for that if it feels good. But yeah, I treat my business now in this really fluid, playful way. And it's working for me. It's like really actually allowing me to just like do what I love. And so that was actually my, one of my big secrets that I uncovered for myself last year is like, wow, if I dance like, and I do this spontaneous movement in my life, it's actually transferring to something mental here. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's clearing away things that like, I was so afraid to run my business back in 2017 to 19. Like I, there was a lot of fear around launching a coaching business and I couldn't even see why. And now it's like, that stuff kind of melted away. And it was like, oh, just go do it. Like something in me gave me permission to go what feels like playing. Because what I realized is that living my aligned life feels like play. It feels joyful. Right, which is Um, how it should be. Yeah, it can be. It can be that way. It can feel like the grind, but we can choose that. And we can also feel really pleasurable and easeful. And that's the path I'm on now. That's, That's where... I'm going and I'm working on helping other entrepreneurs do that too. And and people to kind of like unlock that kind of flow for themselves in ways that like we might not usually think like who would have thought dance could help me launch my business and, you know, get like 10 clients. Like who knew that like that could connect, but it does. And so it's like, Oh, I, there's something in there within the mindfulness side of things and spontaneity work that now I really take seriously. And I, I've harnessed a system for that for people, which is exciting. Oh, I love that. So now we're still in quarantine. You've launched this business. You're into it a year, over a year. And now you have like, what? What are you doing? Things online? You, how do you, you can't do any in live. You don't do anything in, in person. What, right, what, yeah. So I am, um, the way I run my business is I do one-on-one coaching with clients. And I also do group training. So I, I recently ran an eight-week program called The Homecoming. And um, it was like an eight-week jumpstart mindfulness training to help people learn the core like attentional skills and techniques as part of unified mindfulness. So I'm going to be running that soon again. Right now, I'm actually running a really cool series. It's called, I'm going to pull up the page because I... Yeah, it's called the Mindful Pleasure Compass Series. And so it's actually, it's inspired by a training I recently offered uh, at a few festivals and, and conferences where I'm testing out that, that um, methodology and that toolkit that I just mentioned with you about how to harness pleasure to really step into our vitality in our lives and our aligned purpose. And so I'm running this 30-day series of one-on-one complimentary coaching sessions. They're 45 minute sessions. I'm offering like 30 total to 30 trailblazers and, and powerful people. And it's really designed to help people drop into the flow of their aligned life. And so right now, yeah, I'm, I'm offering, if your audience is interested, I'd love to offer five sessions to them. So the oh, first I'm five sure. people who, uh, yeah, the first five people who want to sign up, like, 
please, you know, sign up at the mindfulnest.co forward slash pleasure. And um, it's really this one-on-one session that we would go through together is it's designed to help people unlock that tool that that ushered me into that ease and flow and that loving serenity that I've now found in my own business and my own relationship with my passions and, and really learn how to like build that muscle because it's a muscle that we need to build over time. So this session is designed to basically introduce that technique to people. And specifically it's a mindfulness and mindset combination tool that increases somatic awareness, emotional intelligence, and really helps people tap into pleasure in their physical, their somatic areas, their body, and start to accept it and bring compassion to it and allow it to grow um, with the intention to move it into areas of, of life that might feel blocked or stuck or resistant. So that's kind of how I've been leveraging the tool for myself and other clients. And so now I want to I feel really called to share this with people. And that's why I wanted to run this 30 day series is just like give people a taste of this and let them run with the technique um, and really start to practice cultivating their relationship with pleasure and, and allow themselves to tap into that clarity so that that intuitive rising arising can happen for them and really point them to maybe there's some clarity that they need in their business or a clarity about a life transition they're going through. And making space for this mindfulness technique and really learning how to cultivate pleasure and be with that sense experience, it, I believe, is a really powerful portal into developing that clarity and then taking actions that are in alignment with what we really want in life. Oh, you are a gift. Huge. Aww. I mean, just even the word pleasure, you know, and I think of how you use that word and how so many people don't even think of pleasure. You know, they think of life as being hard or, you know, these things that we have to do. But when you inspire people to look for pleasure, that's the gift right there. You're just this being of light and you're like this beautiful soul that has come here to share, you know, this knowledge that you really know deep down. I mean, it goes far beyond. I mean, I see it like in lives before, like, I don't know, there's something in you that is so deep. You know, it's not just the surface. I've learned a few things along the way. You have learned something, but there's something so internal in you that is so apparent when I see you and when you talk. I mean, you you know that this is your gift and that's what's so beautiful. And I love when I see people that figured out that this is why I'm here and you found that and it's mm. amazing. So oh, on our end of our little amazing hour of um, my Jess talk. What is anything like if I usually ask somebody, is there one thing that, you know, you just can't live without you do every day, you have to, you know, some little trick or, you know, something that they could take away right before we end our little talk today. Mindfulness Mm. trick, mindfulness hack. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I won. And this is about, this is about cultivating that trust in the universe and and allowing pleasure and joy to come in. And this one is, it's called feel good. And so what I invite people to do is like take a moment every day. It could be two minutes, five minutes, 20 minutes, and just imagine, visualize yourself sitting and with loving energy kind of pouring into your crown chakra. So the top of your head, 
pouring in from the sky and really filling you with love, compassion, even forgiveness, whatever is kind of feeling resonant and, and needed that day. And practicing saying, may I be loved, may I be loving, may I be loved, may I be loving. And allowing that to wash over your body and just practice allowing yourself to receive it and detecting what emotions arise in the body. It might be joy, but it also might be some sadness and just allowing that and and allowing whatever to arise to be there. That's mindfulness is the ability to just allow and notice, to notice Mm -hmm. what's arising and to create space for it. And that watching the or visualizing energy pouring in is a cultivation practice. And so that particular way of working with it is like a way to blend awareness with cultivation and build an adaptive, beautiful relationship with the universe and call in that energy that it can feel healing and it can feel loving. And you get to give yourself that gift every day. You have this power over your relationship with yourself and that love that you cultivate in yourself. And so I invite you to make space for that every day. Mm, Beautiful. Beautiful. Where can people find you on that note? That's a beautiful way to end this. Thank you. Yeah. You can find me on Instagram at jess.lipman, L-I-P as in Peter, M-A-N. I'm always on there sharing tips and insights and information about my upcoming workshops and sessions. And then I'm at themindfulnest.co. And if you want that, one of those mindful pleasure compass sessions, it's a free one-on-one coaching session. I'm doing it for a month. So you're welcome to apply for one of those. And we get to really dive deep into like, what's a blockage or what's a goal that you have in your life right now? And, And let's really learn how to harness pleasure to help you create and expand into that. So I'd love to support your audience. If anyone feels called to that, it's the mindfulness.co forward slash pleasure to get started. Thank you. Thank you so much. And anyone listening right now, I would completely take her up on that because she is such a gift here on this planet. I'm so grateful to have had this time together and share you with everybody. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you for listening to the Uncover Your Magic podcast today. If you are inspired by what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you would like to connect with me with any questions, comments, or feedback, please contact me at the Uncover Your Magic website. Thank you so much for listening and don't forget, always look for the magic.